This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Karankwa, and Hohokam people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from a mixed race perspective. I am your sir auntie, Charmaine Fury, aka the Blasian Blur, the Busiest mixed race by gender, bisexual, polyamorous, atheist, comic book nerd, cat mom, and two-time Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award-winning podcaster in this podcasting gang. This is episode 189, and I am coming at you from my hotel in San Diego, California. I came out here this weekend to present at the Black and Brown Nerds Expo at Miracosta College in Oceanside, California, which is a little bit north of um, of San Diego. Uh, I was here with my Padna from Blurred Comics, Sean Bay, a.k.a. Blurred Vision, and we did a panel called Podcasting is for the Blurreds. Had a good time. Uh, shout out to Nikki, one of the former militantly mixed cousins on the show who actually came out to meet us at the Black Nerds Expo a couple years ago in person. She came back to see us again um, here this weekend. So that was very fun. Shout out to you, Nikki. And it turns out it was just a lot cheaper to stay two days than it was to just fly in and fly out. Airline travel is so weird. Like the way they price it out is very strange. So I ended up making a weekend of it. And today, the time I'm recording is Sunday, November 6th. And I spent all day at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park in Escondido, which is, uh, I haven't been since I was like 11 or 12. It's this park that has representations of, of Africa and Asia and Australia. And you get on these little trams and you drive through and you see what's looked like natural habitats for all the different animals that you see. They still have their cage type things, zoo type things too, but they have these huge expansive natural habitats, which is why I prefer the safari park to most zoos. And since I haven't been since I was a kid, I was like, you know, I'm going to be here. I'm going to go hang out there. I had a great day. I really loved it. I got my little 10,000 steps in, had a good day. I'm also from California. So every time I'm home, I got to get me a round table pizza, uh, Italian garlic supreme. That's my jam. I think I got food poisoning. <laughs> which I wouldn't normally blame on round table pizza, but the immediacy at which I got sick after eating, I didn't eat the whole thing. I ate more than I normally do by like one slice, but I got sick immediately. So I've been resting a little bit, trying to get myself back so I could record this intro. But the way I feel feels more than just I ate too much. It feels like I'm going to have a rough day for the rest of the day. So let me get through this intro before it gets worse so that I can get on a plane tomorrow and hopefully it won't be bad on the plane. <laughs> yeah, it can't. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not feeling very good, y'all. Okay, 
So forgive me because I'm like hella out of breath too because of how bad I feel. So I'm going to try to get through this and try not to make it too long. This is supposed to be the Mix Auntie Confidential episode that we do on the second Tuesdays of every month with myself and Auntie Teresa Stovall. Um, unfortunately for the show, but not unfortunately for Teresa, she, as a freelance journalist, has been tapped to write article after article uh, this month for various publications, which is amazing. And so um, we haven't been able to get together to record in addition to her schedule being wild, this has been a very difficult month for me. Since a little bit before I went to New York, I invited a friend in that needed to, a place to stay to stay with me. And um, that's extended longer than I had originally planned. And having that extra person in the house has just been very taxing. Everybody works from home. It's loud all the time. It's also just hard to accommodate someone for longer than you have planned. We don't really have the room for an extra person. So it's, it's just been tough. <laughs> it's been real tough. And because of that, it's been hard to find time recording. And I haven't really been as present for the shows as I would like to be, as I would normally be. Um, because because it's, it's just been tough. I, I'll just be honest, it's been tough. So as a result, I haven't really been actively doing the things that I've been needing to do, like promoting the t-shirt sales and promoting the um, fundraiser, even though the show is in a very desperate state right now and absolutely fucking needs this fundraiser to work out. Um, so I'm trying to convey that through the intros as much as possible, but hopefully I get my house back sometime next week, hopefully, and maybe I can start refocusing to try to really nail home uh, how desperate it is for us to get this fundraiser to really start popping off because we haven't actually gotten any donations since the very first week that I posted the fundraiser. So it's a little scary. Not going to lie. Not going to lie. The state of the finan the financial state of the show is pretty scary right now. Wow. I meant to go talk about Auntie Teresa's recent article and ended up talking about how difficult a month it was. That's interesting. But yes, Auntie Teresa and I will try to get together to record Mix Auntie Confidential a little bit later after she finishes these assignments because we have a really good topic that we would like to share. And I'd like to get that out before I go on to my December hiatus. But if not, we'll table it until January. It's still a good topic no matter what. But I did want to highlight that in addition to her freelance writing, she also maintains her Mixanti Confidential blog. And she posted an article that I saw today, November 6th, called Mixed Black Identity in the Political Crosshairs. What will the Supreme Court decide? So there has been some articles put, um, going around lately that's been talking about how the Supreme Court is going to be deciding mixed black identity, like how we are able to identify politically and what that means for voting and gerrymandering and redlining and all the other kind of stuff, right? I haven't had a chance to read this article yet because it came in this morning and, and I've been out at the safari park and then sick, uh, but I'm going to tag it in the show notes for y'all and just encourage you to join the Mix Anti Confidential blog so that you can get those notifications when they drop in your mailbox because she is an amazing writer and and the way she can break down things like the way I understand how the census works now a lot of that comes from what I've learned from her in the past and things like that too so absolutely go check out this article 
and um, or be like me, put a Google alert on Teresa's name so that every time she writes something, you get a hit. <sighs> okay, I'm a little bit out of breath. Hold on. The day this episode drops, November 8th, Tuesday, is uh, six days until the end of the Beer Makes Ass of 2022 annual t-shirt sales. Um, those are available on militantlymixed.com on the merch tab. And I gotta be honest, I am fucking shocked that that shirt didn't do better. And I know I've only posted about it once or twice, but like, I thought once people saw the design, this thing would fly off the internet shelves. And I guess I was wrong. Uh, we've only sold about 14, 13 or 14 shirts so far over the course of the last three weeks. And, uh, only from about five people. So people bought multiple ones, but I seriously thought this was going to fly off the shelves. I didn't, I didn't realize that it was such a personal design for me that I couldn't tell that other people might not be into it. <laughs> but hopefully maybe people are just waiting for paychecks and those will start, you know, buying them up before the end of the week. But we only have until November 14th for that shirt to be available. So if you can get it, please get it now. The proceeds of which the the after we pay for the cost of the shirts and everything like that, it has been going into the show. So I have been able to keep up on some show bills, which has been really helpful. In addition to that, uh, we've increased our pay uh, our Patreon sponsorship over the last month as well. So that has been amazing. Uh, we've increased and then lost, but we're still higher than we were. So we're in a pretty good spot on Patreon at the moment. Um, it it's still a very much a goal to hit $500 a month um, for Patreon sponsorship, and we're at 405 right now. So we're the we're like the well last week we were the closest we ever were at 411. We've lost some Patreon sponsorship. We're at 405 right now, um, so closest we've ever been to be able to achieve that $500 a month. But if we can get there, that'll go a long way in um, in supporting the show. In addition to that, though, I have the very, very real need for the GoFundMe to start collecting donations. Um, we haven't actually gotten a GoFundMe donation since the very first week that I dropped it. And I know that that is a very ambitious goal. But unfortunately, I, I desperately need to hit that amount if I'm going to be able to maintain doing the show because it is beyond financially unsustainable for me uh, to do it. And since I haven't been able to be present this last month um, on social media and kind of to a certain degree with the shows, um, I haven't been able to do my IG lives and stuff like that, which I kind of started to do on Mondays. It's just been really tough. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, it's been a tough month. And to have this dreaded thing like I need to hit the goal of this fundraiser hanging over my head while also not really being able to do anything about it has has had me in kind of a emotional tizzy over the last few days but I try to put it on pause so I can do this trip and and hopefully if I'm able to get my house back at the end of the week I can start being more present and and being more active on social media so that I can convey the, the necessity for that fundraiser so if you would like to support the show number of ways to do it. As always, there's the Patreon sponsorship, which you can support the show on a monthly or um, annual basis. There is, that is patreon.com slash militantly mixed. 
There are different rewards depending on what level you choose. All of that goes into supporting the show. The goal there is to get to at least $500 a month, although once we start passing $500 a month, that's when I can actually get team members brought in and stuff like that. So that's the goal. In addition to that, there is always the t-shirt sales that are militantlymixed.com on the merch tab. Right now, we have the Be Your Mix Ass Self annual t-shirt that will go away on November 14th. But in addition to that, there's the logo tees and some of the message tees. There's a few designs I've been meaning to get up or re-put back up, like Mixed AF and stuff like that. Just haven't had a chance to do that yet. But those will be there. And all everything that is on top of the what we pay the print company for goes back into the show. And then there is the GoFundMe fundraiser. So just GoFundMe.com or .org, whichever it is. Go ahead and type Militantly Mix will be the only thing that pops up. And you can donate there and help help me keep this show going. Um, as, in terms of the hard work of it all, nothing is going to slow me down from doing Militantly Mix. Militantly Mix is, is a necessity for my life to keep going. For the financial aspects of the show, it is currently unsustainable. And I can't guarantee that I can keep it going at the present cost. So if I'm not able to raise enough funds to pay off the debt from 2021 and 2022, there's no reason why I should incur debt for 2023. Also, I've maxed out my ability to incur more debt. So that's that's why I'm doing this very ambitious fundraiser now to try to pay all that off. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm tired from this uh, not feeling very well. Uh, so hopefully I've conveyed everything I needed to convey or I'm in a fever dream and I sound crazy and it's going to go live and I won't know until after I feel better. One of those two things is happening. Uh, my guest today is amazing, though, and I, I'm really excited about what we talked about. So I can't wait for you all to hear it. My guest today is Jennifer Sirapong. Uh, she is one of the co-founders of Root and Seed, which is this amazing online company that allows you to connect with family members where you can ask them a series of questions that are provided to you from the website so that you can record, they can record their answers and the oral traditions of your family and keep it in sort of a centralized location for you and your family to access so that you can maintain the family traditions, the oral histories and things like that. It is free, it is private for you and your family. And it is something that has the potential to grow into an amazing, amazing opportunity for you to share with other family members and to kind of piece together the stories of what made you, you know, the stories that come before you, your aunts, your uncles, your grandparents, your parents, stuff like that. I am so into this kind of work. Like, honestly, if I if I, if I could have a job that someone else paid me for it would be to do something like this, to be able to archive people's oral, oral traditions and oral stories and stuff like that, uh, which is kind of what I try to do with Militantly Mixed to a degree. I've been wanting to create an archive of mixedness and the sto you know stories of people so that hopefully you could share if you're on the show, an episode with your family and things like that. Um, but in the way that I do it on the show and the way that Root and Seed is doing it, I would love to do what Root and Seed is doing. So I am 100% gung-ho in support of what Root and Seed is doing. I'm gonna tag all the links in the show notes for this so you can check it out for yourself. There's no reason not to try it right now because it is free. So you might as well do it while, while it is free. 
But for those of you who might struggle with how to get your family members to start talking about their past and different stories from your family, they have things that have been created by um, uh, cultural anthropologists and, and uh, linguists and things like that, uh, showing you the ways you can ask questions to get them to start talking versus just blurting out something that might make them close up and not be willing to share. I am so into this. And we talked both about Jennifer's story as a mixed person and leading up to her co-founding of this company and what that has done for her investigation into her own mixedness beyond what she already knew about herself growing up. And it's just so beautiful. I cannot wait for y'all to hear this episode. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Militantly Mixed family, Jennifer Sirapong. Today, I'm joined by our latest cousin, Jennifer Sarapong. Uh, Jennifer, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody and uh, let's get into it. Definitely. Thank you. First, thank you for having me on here. I'm so excited to be having a conversation with you. Um, I am Jennifer Sarapong. I am a guest on the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, uh, and the Wendat people, which is otherwise known as Toronto, Canada. Um, and I guess seeing as how we're on militantly mixed, it's kind of what kind of mix am I? And it's weird because normally I describe myself based on the value I bring to the world. So mm. like I was a digital advertising leader and then I shifted into to entrepreneurship. I'm a mother. I'm a daughter. I'm a wife. I've never traditionally identified myself based on my race or my religion or ethnicity. And honestly, it's probably because it's just been too complicated. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm a heavy product of assimilation. And so I've just kind of avoided it unless, you know, I awkwardly get probed. And uh, because of the way I was raised, I've just always been good at being a social shapeshifter, making myself a little bit easier to digest based on whoever yeah, I'm around. Yeah. But um, I grew up in Boston. And so I guess as a child growing up there, I would have just described myself as half Asian. Just leave it at that. Mm. I am half Thai. My father is Thai and half Irish, if we're going to get into it. Um, and there's like so much more in there. <laughs> but now I live in Canada. Um, I'm married to a Jew and uh, I have two kids who are my beautiful quarter Asians. <laughs> So um, when we first started talking, you did mention like you're a heavy product of assimilation. And you brought it up here, too, um, which is understandable. I mean, we live in societies that kind of force us into that kind of stuff. Did people point out that you didn't look, quote, like white enough for them to ask what the other thing is? Did you did you get the question all the time oh, or did well, you just let it go? Let it go. I, no I definitely got asked a lot. Um, and. In in the neighborhood or in the town that I grew up in, it was it was, it was a very heavy Irish population. Everybody mm -hmm. was like redheaded, freckled, blue eyes, and so I was very much the the different person. Mm -hmm. um, at first, I was the outcast, but again, like because I was raised, so I grew up in an intergenerational home. My mm -hmm. grandparents 
on my mother's side. So um, a French grandmother and an Irish grandfather pretty much raised me while my parents were working. And so I oddly didn't realize I was different until a lot later. Like I just thought I was ugly or I wore glasses or I was mm. awkward. Like I never knew to associate it with my race in hindsight. That mm. was definitely what made me different. But maybe that ignorance is what allowed me to walk through the world as an adult with so much confidence. I guess you could call it privilege too, but um, I think my dad did what he thought was best for my brother and I just to to give us a very, very Irish upbringing so that we could be as normal as we right. possibly could around everyone else. And is them. your father a first generation Thai in America or? He, okay. he is. So he moved to Boston when he just finished his army service, mm. the required service in Thailand. So he was about 20 years old. He barely spoke English. He had, you know, a few dollars in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, he came because he had a couple friends who were already here. But oddly, when he landed, he started at a community college where he met my uncle through that, came to a couple of family dinners and met my mom. Mm. After uh, a few years, they started dating and it just became one of those beautiful romances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my my mom is very like French, Irish, uh, and I guess back then it was a little bit odd to have a, you know, Asian man and a, a white woman, but it was actually through a lot of the work that I've been doing. So I started a company about 18 months ago with, um, a, a founder, a co-founder, and we're on a mission to help people rediscover and reclaim their cultural identity. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned that like I'm the product of assimilation. I never questioned like yeah. why don't we celebrate Asian holidays and how come I don't know, you know, anything about my father's family. And I didn't start asking those questions until I started this company called Root and Seed. And since I have one of the coolest discoveries that I've made, and this is just by asking questions to like my aunts and to my mom and whoever is around. I realized that my family goes generations deep, like at least four generations that I know of where the first born woman will marry somebody who is of a different mm. citizenship, a different religion, mm. likely of a um, who speaks a different language. And, and and like this literally goes from like me moving to Canada, marrying a Jew, my mom marrying um, a Thai man who was a different religion, her mother uh, met my grandfather. My grandfather was an Irish or he was an American soldier in World War II stationed in Paris. And he met a French woman, brought her back to Boston. And it goes on and on and on. Yeah, that's awesome. And so my family having mixed marriages where, you know, internally, like a language barrier isn't a big deal. But to the rest of society, it's mm. like you guys are weird. Yeah. Um, that's just been normal. And I think that's why I was raised in such like a home where, you know, my Irish grandfather presented me as his very Asian granddaughter. Mm -hmm. Like it was no big deal at all. And it's very much a part of like the Asian immigrant story of where you stifle the Asian and just assimilate into American culture. My, my Japanese grandma, the same type of thing, like even to the extended family, because my father was black. We would say to our extended Japanese family, our dad was American yeah. because 
they didn't want my grandma didn't want that question answered, you know, so it was like whatever, whatever that meant to the extended family. They were just curious why we were so brown compared to the rest <laughs> of them, you know, but it is very much a product of like the Asian. Well, maybe it's I can only relate as an Asian immigrant story, like family or something like that. Like we definitely repress the Asian-ness outside. We might do it at home still. But in your case, you said you didn't grow up with like you didn't celebrate Thai holidays or no, there was none of religion. it. You have no aspects of your father's religion either. None at all. Like I remember he when I was younger, he would um, take a moment in the evening to pray. But in most cases, my mother would shuffle my brother and I off so he would have his privacy. Oh. And he wore a Buddha around his neck. And that was really the extent of it, because I was raised Irish Catholic. Mm. And um, he actually made a commitment to uh, his friend, the priest who, you know, he met, you know, early in his immigration uh, in order to marry my mother in a, a Catholic church. He promised he that all of his children would be confirmed. And so he he held that promise. Did he have to take the classes, too? My aunt also married a Catholic and they, they had to take like nine months of classes before they actually got married. For No, you know what? I, I think everything with my parents was so like prolonged so they knew each other for like a decade they were dating for eight years and my my dad always had intention of getting his you know speak learning to speak perfect English getting his master's moving back to Bangkok and becoming like a huge businessman who could do uh, cross cross country work yeah um, my mom was like I'll go with you I'll go with you and he was like you're not coming <laughs> relationship to fizzle out and after eight years um and they were engaged for two uh my mom found out she was pregnant and so in a month and a day my dad managed to convince the priest to let them get married in the church and they were married and um nobody was any the wiser until That's you funny. know <laughs> <laughs> we all have stories like that in our families too um, sure. so what happened first, getting involved in the company and then asking the questions or asking Sadly, the it was getting involved in the company. And so Root and Seed, so my partner grew up in a very beautifully um, Hindu, rich culture family. Mm -hmm. And she lost her mom in a weekend. And then she realized, like, I don't know how to pass along my traditions and my heritage. And she called me because... Um, as a digital marketer, she's like, you're the technology person. How do I turn this into a technology company? And I was like, well, not only am I going to help you with that, I love what you're doing. So <laughs> I'm going to jump on board because I was like, I need to learn more about my heritage. But it's not because I lost it with the passing of a loved one. It's because I just have never known it. I've never experienced it. And while my dad is still here, while I still have aunts and uncles right. who I can ask, I'm going to I'm going to go and through this journey, too, because there have to be more people like me. And as we've um, started the company, we realize that there are so many more people and it's not just assimilation. It's not just loss. It's the fact that there's so much across the world of migration. There is intermarriage. It's the fact that generations are being born with a wider gap between them and right. the passing of heritage and culture usually skips a generation. So it will be a child learning from their grandparent or a great aunt. It's not the child learning from the parent or right. their immediate aunts and uncles. And so as that distance is getting wider, the opportunity for 
the grandparents to share is is disappearing. So there is a genuine risk of loss of tradition, loss of culture, loss of stories. And in the mixed world, in the second generation immigrant world, you can't go to Google and search like what's Nana's biryani recipe and you can't you know, go to YouTube and find out how does auntie do her prayers for Chinese New Year. Like the way your family does it is unique and it deserves to be captured and documented and honored and celebrated. Because even if you're not ready to celebrate it now, you probably will be Mm -hmm. ready at some point. And the biggest regret most people have is that it's not available. Yeah. And I'm like a little choked up just thinking about it, too, because I know that in the early parts of my child, I was always very close to my Japanese grandmother, more so than my British grandmother. And when I was younger, she would answer some questions, but not a lot because she still even though it had been like 30 years since, or since she'd been in the United States, um, she still had the fear of the military telling her don't teach your kids different language, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like they, they made her take American domesticity classes, which in my family, we refer to them as yellow bride classes because literally it was all the Asian wives that had to take these classes to like learn how to make an American meatloaf and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so she still had the fear when I was little, she wouldn't really share much, but as I got older and as I started making my own investigation, like learning the language myself and stuff like that in college, bit by bit, she would start to let stories slip out. <laughs> and and I think, you know, part of that is I'll say specifically Japanese so that I don't like all Asians do this, but I feel like it's a lot of us um, <laughs> where we like keep that stuff tight because it's like, yeah. no, I came to America to become an American. You don't need to know about back home kind of a thing, Definitely. or at least specifically with my family. That's how it was. And to think about these opportunities, missed opportunities of like, I don't have a recording of my grandmother's voice telling me a story. I just have a memory of her telling me. Yeah. And I wish there were ways that, you know, I would have that now so I could go back into it. And I think that is a little bit of the motivation of doing a show like Militantly Mixed too, is that, yeah. you know, maybe in 10 years, someone can say, hey, I did this podcast once and I talked a little bit about our family, you know, or something like that. I would love to know that like something like Militantly Mixed would create that opportunity for people. Oh, or 100%. Every one of your episodes is going to be a treasure for, for somebody. Yeah. I think so. So I love this idea. And I was really excited when I when I pulled your name up and started to look on the website because I was like, oh, gosh, you can really help people learn because that's the other part is learning how to ask those questions. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, <laughs> so first, I mean, it's the fact that a lot of people don't even think that they have a culture worth celebrating. Right. Or they, you know, that they have heritage or meanings of heirlooms that haven't been discovered or recipes that have, because like you don't think about it until it's lost. Exactly. And so we started um, content. So like a blog and a podcast to help spark people's recognition from like hearing other people's story. They're like, Oh my gosh, I have that too. it's It's worth it for me to dig into it. And we created a tool, so um, it's digital now, but we're creating a, a physical component too, where after a ton of research, we realized that the, the biggest blocker in someone figuring out their family story is because they're afraid to ask, ask the question. Yeah, <laughs> or they don't know what questions to ask. So our, our digital tool, it's like no download required. It's just a mobile app because we wanted to make it really easy for like even boomers to, to be able to use. And it, there are questions for kids and there are questions for adults. 
So we realize kids are fantastic icebreakers if they're going to talk to their grandparents um, and adults who want to have more introspective questions. We have a different kind of questions for for them, but it's on the, the themes of culture, tradition. Um, sorry, tradition, celebration, food and family stories. And these are the questions that, you know, aren't typically being asked in like all the other conversation cards that are out there. And we also realize that if you ask a question like, hey, Grandpa, what what was your childhood like? Either there's a lot of trauma that they don't want to get into right. or they just think it's like mundane and they're like, man, it was, you know, a childhood. Um, so the tool has dig deeper questions. So every question has uh, six to eight additional questions in it mm. so that your person can approach the question from a different perspective or different angle. So it might ask, what was your childhood like growing up? I don't know. Okay. What who made you breakfast in the morning? Because now oh, all of a sudden I love you're thinking this. about a caretaker. You're thinking about the flavors yeah. or maybe the smells. It'll be like, um, what did your bedroom look like? Because maybe you had your own bedroom or maybe you shared your bedroom with six siblings or maybe you all slept in the same room together. Right. Um, it's going to make you remember that. Yeah, that that was a part of my life. Or it could be. How did you get in trouble as a kid? Like. So <laughs> So it just helps people have conversations. It um, is all about oral storytelling. So we help you capture it. There's a record button on the tool. So, you know, it's audio. It's not mm. a video that you use to, you know, literally distract. Yeah. Um, and honestly, the art of oral storytelling is just so beautiful because you yes. listen to them afterwards and you have, you know, your loved ones giggle or and you, you hear the story in their words, which we all know as soon as someone tells you a story and you try to like write it down afterwards, you've lost part of it. Yeah, absolutely. It. So oh, this is like, a, like the, I can't even explain the time, amount of times I've gotten involved in something that's somewhat like this. And then it just fizzles out. I used to, when I used to live in, I used to live in Bridgewater, Massachusetts, but South of Boston, but I used mm -hmm. to work with these Boston filmmakers that did this kind of stuff on video with families yeah. after, and, um, and they ran out of funding, so I didn't get to keep on that thing. You know, uh, there's other things where I've been a part of of um, documentaries or something like that, where someone's trying to capture the oral histories of things. And man, like I want to do that. Like that's why I do the podcast because I, I want to do some version of this. I'm so excited that a product like this exists. Oh, but thank I think you. It, and the whole idea is like, yeah, we don't need to be professional historians or cultural anthropologists like I'm not. Right, I don't yeah. think I presume to be like I'm on my own discovery. And so we worked with journalists and um, cultural linguists to make sure that these questions are appropriate. They're culturally sensitive. So, you know, we, we talk about uh, not necessarily dating, but courtship, mm -hmm. um, how all of those are understanding options. like the age and time context of how you would ask a question like that. That's that's good. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I think it's just important for people to know that it, they can do this on their own. And if you have the tool, it almost presents this allowance, like a, I'm allowed to ask you this question because it's on a card. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's so good. I'm, I'm, well, first of all, I'm excited that the thing exists, but I, I'm also excited that even though you weren't thinking about it, just being tapped for the skill set that you have got you actually thinking about it for yourself. Was there anything that was a huge shock that you started to learn about yourself that you're willing to share, of course? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. When you I started when asking I, questions? So, I mean, I asked my dad, I was, you know, my dad was the last person I asked. So he's, he's mm. Thai. My whole other side of the family is, 
They love talking about history. They love talking about their superstitions. I've never actually got it down. So it was nice that I got it down. And my dad would always kind of like avoid, you know, sitting at the table with us when we were mm. recording histories. Mm. But um, the one thing that I did notice, I would ask my quiet uncle a couple of questions. Like, who was the first person who immigrated to this country? And all of a sudden, like after two, three minutes of chatting, this quiet uncle has like amazing stories. And then other people will walk by, my mom or my aunt will walk by and they're like, what are you talking about? That's not how it happened. And oh, like, I love it. <laughs> like, all of a sudden you get tons of perspectives and like people are adding to the story and it just becomes like this lively conversation. It's so nice. But after a couple of months, I was like, you know what, D dad, can I, can I ask you a question? And he's like, mm, I don't know. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to record it. I'm just going to ask you a question. And now he loves recording answers oh, and it's, really? oh, it's so good. So one of the like, the things that I asked him that I thought were like super simple, but I was like blown away. So my last name is Sirapong. Um, I knew my parents changed my name at birth. So my parents' last name is Sirapong Boonsit. 16 letters, no spaces, like no hyphen, mm. Sirapong Boonsit. And that's essentially the Smith of Thailand. Like everyone's got a Sirapong name. Got it. Okay. And so they shortened it for me again to help me assimilate. But I asked my dad finally, and it was only about two months ago, like, what's the meaning of Sirapong? Like, there's got to be some, like, really cool background, like, most Asian names have definitions. And he's like, no, it's literally the next name on the <laughs> list. So it starts with Sirapong, and then Sirapong Boonsi, and then Sirapong Boonsit. And the next person who is getting their Thai citizenship and needs a passport, they get a Thai name. And so I ended up with Sirapong Boonsit. And I was like, oh, it's such, like... A lunch bag wow. letdown, but at the same time, like now, <laughs> now I know the the background of my name, and I was like, wait a minute, how come you didn't have a name? Right. Why did you need to get a Thai name when you got your your passport? And yeah. he's like, because we were choose we were choose like your your grandmother and grandfather immigrated from China to Thailand during you know communism. Oh, and I was like, wait right. a minute, I'm not okay. Thai. Can we stop? Because my well, entire life, a lot in Asia. <laughs> I'm half Thai. I'm special. I'm cool. I'm yeah. No, actually, I'm half Chinese. Yes, so ethnic Chinese, but Thai. Yeah. So a lot of yeah, a lot of my my Thai friends are ethnic Chinese. Yeah. As well, and that happens. That seems to happen like in Taiwan, Thailand, even yeah. Vietnam has some ethnic Chinese and stuff like that as well. That's interesting. It's funny because like a, a Japan does that as well. If you if you're gonna get Japanese citizenship, you have to change your last name to a Japanese okay. last name, even if you're there on like a work pass or something like that. So like a lot of South Asians that come up to Japan to get jobs, they have to change. They have to they have to like renounce their other Asian name, culture, heritage, and like adopt a Japanese name. It's pretty wild. It's crazy. It's interesting that we don't necessarily do that here. I mean, I wonder if that's even an option if you emigrate here, if they're like, you can change your name to an American name if you want. I don't know if that happens. I, I feel like it is pretty common when people would pass through later Lady Liberty and have their name changed or the spelling changed because they're yeah. just spelling it phonetically and that ends up being what you're stuck with for years i thought my family was an my my mother's white side of the family was an ellis island family but come to find out um they actually had been here since 1711 wow. so their last name doesn't even match any of the places they think they're from that's incredible like we started doing like okay irish scotland scotland and, and germany are where they think they're from and where they have a relative or a story that somebody lived in this place there are no wolves 
and it's wolf w o l f e and no but not many people have that except for here in America. So that's why I thought it was an Ellis Island lame because I thought they spelt it wrong when they came through. But no, they're just Appalachian white people who've been here <laughs> since 1711. And this is the thing, like you don't, these are things you take for granted. Yeah. And if you don't ask, you'll, you'll never find out. And so there's, there's two benefits to what we created. And one, it helps create more meaningful intergenerational conversations because yeah. sadly so many of us have forgotten how to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. And two, it brings up questions that you would never think to ask. And so before the moment passes, you can ask these random questions that maybe you don't think has an answer. And if they don't, that's totally okay. You move on. But you might be surprised with what you learn when you ask. Yeah. In some cases, you do have to be prepared for like the tough answer. I have on my black side of family, we have some tough answers that we that we learned. And it's like, oh, well, I mean, at least I know. But yikes, you know, there's there's definitely some stories that are pretty rough out there. Yeah. And you know what? It's it's hard to hear and it's probably even harder to tell. Mm. But some there are incredible studies out there. They've been doing studies for the last um, 20 years, at least that I've been reading, that shows that when children understand their history, their heritage, their roots, they are more confident in being who they are meant to be. That's They're more empowered to create and, and be what you know, the world intends for them as opposed to being, you know, made to be small by society. Right. That's interesting because I was the inquisitive kid that wanted to know all the things. I asked my black grandfather where we came from. I asked my Japanese grandma, my British grandma. Like I asked the questions. My brother, very much product of assimilation. It's weird that we even grew up in the same household. You know, (laughs) like I don't, it doesn't, it's so strange how different we are about this. And he was a far less confident kid. I don't know necessarily. I feel like he's found his tribe and his confidence now, but for me, like it was knowing all the stuff that happened. Like it's very important to me that I understand the reason why my grandma does some of the things she does is because she was from wartime Japan, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and like grandma, don't, don't eat that, that expired food wartime you know like why does she say this all the time now I have to understand the the famine and the stuff that happened back then and that's why she is this way and it puts that into context more of just like when I'm being you know like a privileged little American kid that's like oh I, this yogurt's a day old I'm gonna go ahead and chuck <laughs> that right whereas like my grandma would probably eat it a week later you know because exactly. wartime and being able to ask those questions and understand that stuff is really important do you feel like since you went on this journey I mean it's very difficult because you're a full-grown adult by the time you're doing this are you able to I don't know what your situation is with with children and and things but are you in a better position to help if you do have children or if you do if you have them uh you mean are you in a better position to to share like where you your histories and things like that do you feel a little bit more confident in that to pass it on 100 percent and the, the crazy part was that I was so assimilation was so normalized in my world that when I had my children, when I got married, I, I converted to Judaism. I am living in Canada all of a sudden and I have children and I start raising them. No questions asked as Canadian Jews. Like that's it. Like, okay. There is no Christmas is gone and Easter Bunny doesn't exist. Okay. Like maybe, maybe if we go to Boston and, you know, Santa visits Nana, but like <laughs> we are Canadian Jews. And that was so what I just Interesting. felt compelled to bring forth to my children because that's what my that's mother what your mom did to me and, and generations back. That's just 
what happened. And then I started going down this path of creating root and seed and realized that I have every right to celebrate my Asian heritage because I have been given that birthright. I have been given, I have the blood in me that says that I can celebrate Thai and Asian holidays and, and be proud of it. And so we brought a lot of those learnings of the richness of what my children have in them to my kids now that they're older. Uh, and I, I like a lot of it happened during the pandemic. So it was like, we're home now. Like we have Might more as well time. Talk about it. Yeah. all of the holidays. And so it kind of worked out. They didn't really think too much of it other than like, mama's all we got now. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's been a really incredible journey because we would call my parents over Zoom and be like, hey, dad, like, did you ever celebrate Chinese New Year when you were a kid? And what other holidays did you celebrate? And we'd, we'd learn about it because now all of a sudden I feel comfortable asking about it. Whereas nice. before, I just didn't feel like I had the right to. I'm also a lot more confident about it. I'm, I'm a more confident person and it's kind of sad that I had to get this far in my life in order to realize it. And that's why we want to help people figure it out earlier and sooner so that they can feel this pride in their heritage and also make sure it doesn't get lost. But like in, in our world where there is so much oppression, like assimilation is sinister and yeah. I've had to work through a lot of internalized oppression and internalized inferiority because as a mixed person, like I'm not white, but I'm not Asian. And as a mixed person, I almost felt like Asian people had more of a right than I did. And white people have more of a right than I do. So um, now that I can feel proud about all of the sides of myself, I'm breaking down those, those, you know, issues. Um, that makes me happy to hear because I know that one of the things that pops up a lot on this show is is that permission for access yeah. feeling that a lot of us have. And in some cases, you just need somebody from that culture, or that group to grant you the permission. And then you're like, OK, great, even though that's not that person's job, but you that's that's how you're compelled to do it. And I'm hoping that with things like Root and Seed or Militantly Mix or any of the other mixed things that are out there, that people will just start to take up that space themselves. Because like, yeah, like you said, it's in there. It's all coursing through your body at the same time. Mm-hmm. So why why shouldn't you have access to it for a decision that you didn't make? You know, you didn't decide to be born a mixed Asian and white person. You Your parents made that decision. Their parents made the decisions that they made. So, you know, you can't always feel like you don't belong. Like you you should feel like you have access. And that's a hard thing to teach people. (laughs) It's a hard thing to empower people with unless they see other people doing it. So I think, you know, like maybe your kids seeing you do this will make it a little bit more interesting for them to do. So if they choose to have kids when they get older, too, that they'll be able to keep some of those things on. So you didn't have words like um, one or two little Thai words or something like that that your father always said growing up that you kind of say oh, or understood you didn't have any no of I I mean oh, other so than amazing hello which I think we learned when we were teenagers mm. and um I went to visit Thailand because just as a university student mm-hmm. like I I left Boston when I was 17 I moved to Canada to go to university and I think there was something there like I was raised in a predominantly white but mixed household. I definitely identify as white. And in Boston, like we, we talk about it as a stew. Everybody's just yeah. brought into the same and blended up. But in Canada, especially in Montreal, where I was going to school, it was considered more of a 
um, astute, like everybody was able to maintain their individuality um, and live amongst each other. Uh, and I started really being like, okay, like I know I'm Thai, I know nothing about it. And so I decided to go to Thailand over the summer and my, my dad really hated that. Really? Like he didn't speak for months after I returned. And it's because he thought I was going to come back and judge him, judge him for oh, no. growing up, I don't know, sleeping on a straw mat on the floor or using the types of bathrooms that are normal in, in Thailand. Right. And I came back and I had so much more respect for him, but it took months for him to even be willing to talk to me so he for was me to with explain shame. that I, I have I can look up to him for what he gave us and for what he's come from and what he's created, uh, which is literally from nothing into this beautiful life that he gave me. And um, and so that that I think really opened up some some doors, too. That's good. Yeah. I, you don't really think about it's so hard because with your parents, you never know them as people like, you know, like you just know them as your parents. So, yeah. I think a lot of them don't want you to see what they're insecure about or anything like that. And so that shame, I, I, I think that's terribly sad, but I, I guess I understand where it would, where it would come from for him, but hopefully that's fine now. Like Hopefully it's not like a point of shame anymore, but just like, this is where we come from. And we're now we're at this, this thing. I had a, another Canadian guest on the show a while back where they described it as a mixed salad. <laughs> yes. I love yeah. that. <laughs> so she's like, you know, America, you guys say the melting pot, but we say mixed salad and I didn't hear her correct. So I actually released the episode under the term mixed solid. That's what I thought she said, <laughs> but she described it as like, if you're a tomato, you're still a tomato just because you're thrown yeah. in a salad, you don't become something else. But she's like in America, you guys like to say you're a melting pot, but everybody still stays pretty separate. But here, like we just say, like, yeah, I'm a tomato. That person's lettuce, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like or whatever. I thought that was a funny way of, of looking at it because I actually I like to be able to distinguish the cultures that I'm mixed with. I like being able to hybrid them when I want to, when it's really convenient, like with food. I love Japanese fried chicken with collard greens and macaroni and cheese. You know, like I like to make a way for all of my foods to to work together and stuff like that. So, you anything. know, and maybe that's why in Canada, my partner and I were able to create root and seed and feel confident about it because we we do live in an environment where individual ethnicities are allowed to flourish and, and celebrate. Mm -hmm. So when um, we started down this path of cultural discovery, we did tons of research. And I think you said it before, like we, we spoke to people who are two Chinese people, the wife from Northern China, the husband from Southern China. And they realized right. that when they celebrate festivals, the way that they culturally celebrated them were so different that they yeah. might as well be from opposite sides of the earth. Yeah. Um, but we realized that culture doesn't need to be like racially motivated. It doesn't always need to come from a place of difference or harm. It can come from the perspective of cultural joy. Um, so those histories of harm definitely exist and they need to, people need to be aware of them, but that doesn't mean that the histories of beauty should be suppressed and that you right. can that that you can have a space for the celebration of culture and you're allowed to want to understand yours and preserve it for the future yeah absolutely i think that's 
that's so great to be able to even give ourselves space for that. And and like you said, even the tough things, I'd rather know what my ancestors went through to get yeah. me to exist than than just think of it as like a an ap- accident that I ended up here. Like for sure, because as American born or Western born, say Asians, the way we move through life is a lot different than we would have back in our home countries and stuff like that. Like the the being a woman or a femme. Mm-hmm. the position in society that we have is different than necessarily the position in society we would have held back home and things like that. And I think we should be able to like honor the women that came ahead of us or, or whatever, even if they had it a little bit tougher or more tough than, than we had. Um, so I think that's an important part of it. And I think it makes us fuller people and getting those opportunities to share that. I, I didn't, I never really thought about it until you said it earlier, that thing about how you don't necessarily get your culture directly from your parents and that you tend to do it from the grandparents. Cause that is true. Like I, I followed my grandmother around. I loved listening to my grandmother. I love watching her cook, even though she wouldn't let me in the kitchen, I would lay on the floor <laughs> and look at her, like watch her up and stuff like that. Like, and then she would tell me stories about how close she was to her grandmother. Cause she didn't seem very close to her parents. Like she would, yeah. she'd be the attentive daughter and things like that. And cause I was lucky enough to grow up around my great grandparents too. But I couldn't, tra- I couldn't speak to them because they spoke Japanese and but it's just me and my great grandfather would like hold hands and eat bananas and drink Coca-Cola together. So like, that's, that's I what that. I have with him. Yeah. But like she, she would talk about her grandmother and I wish like that, that skip, you know, like I know some things about my great grand, my great, great grandmother because my grandmother was close to her. And it, it's just nice to know that you would have these opportunities and it's just all that missed history. Yeah. Like there's so much I want to know about why my great grandmother was a essentially a doctor in her community because she was a woman. And that seems crazy. And I don't have that answer. I just have this one sentence that I remember my grandma saying one time and I was like, Oh shit, my grandma was my great grandmother was a doctor in a time when women weren't doctors. That's it. That's all I got. You know, like I don't have anything more than that. Um, But it would be nice to be able to have these opportunities to, to gather. Yeah. But I mean, think, think about that legacy that she left where she was a change maker. She was not afraid to, you know, break the mold. And here you are, you are out in the world and creating one of the first and most successful mixed podcasts. Like if there's probably some legacy in there. Hopefully. Yeah. So this is great. I'm so excited to know that, that um, this product exists and that you're out there doing this work and, and that it's enriched your life too. Cause it could have just been a job, (laughs) you know, Like you could have just taken the paycheck and been like, all right, let's let's make this happen and not actually engage. And and the fact that you've allowed yourself to engage, I think, is amazing. Exactly. Um, and that's also, I think because my partner and I have learned and benefited so much from this, like it's a free tool like that you don't have to pay for it. And it's hmm. because I mean, we'll figure out how to monetize. The Isn't that the thing? <laughs> we'll figure that out later. But in, in the short term, like what we've created, we're like, we, we can't put a paywall on this like it's too important for it to be out in the world yeah I I understand that sensation too like you still got to eat but at the same time (laughs) making it making something that's good like this exists I I I definitely (laughs) so getting back a little bit to you before we start wrapping up you went to Canada for college what made Mm -hmm. you stay there uh honest answer um I don't know if you remember the South Park movie, but I literally moved to Canada like the year after that came out and everybody was hating on Canada. And I was like, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. But while I was there, 9-11 happened like 
presidents mm. got reelected. I was like, what's going on with the world? Like, I thought that was the worst of the worst. And I was like, I'm staying in Canada. Yeah, no, good choice. I'm also, I also <laughs> thought I was the black sheep of the family. Like, I was always the one who was kind of breaking with convention and asking too many questions and, mm. like, you know, being the rebel, or so my family accused me of. In reality, I was, like, the most gentle, mild-mannered person you could imagine. But I moved to Canada, as, and my family thought of me as a black sheep. And <laughs> I, I feel like I have a closer relationship with my family when I see them in bits and spurts. Same. Um, I that. And when I see them, like we have a, like we have an amazing connection. And it'll be like a week, it'll, or it'll be a long weekend, or you know, over the uh, lockdowns, we went there for two months and. Mm-hmm. They are incredible stays, whereas my husband's family is here and we see them for like Friday night dinners. But my kids barely know them because they see them for three hours once a week. And maybe in those three hours, they talk for five minutes and then they're all like, so my my relationship with my family is a lot tighter now that I live physically further away. So I don't think I would ever really want to change that. Yeah. But um, also asking these questions to my family and realizing that it goes generations back where people yeah. leave the country and find a, a spouse who is of a different religion and language yeah. and, um, and ethnicity. Like it made me realize that I am not the black sheep. I am. I'm the mold. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, you're you're on your ancestors' path. I really yeah. like that. The I, I do think it was a good choice probably to stay in Canada, <laughs> just to be honest. <laughs> um, I'm actually trying to do my exit right now too. I'm I'm leaving for Mexico in four I'm months. So just, excited just for see, you. Just see what happens. I, ocean in the forest. That, that's it. Ocean of ocean of forest. That's what I want. So bad. Yeah. So I'm gonna test out Mexico, but you never know. I might end up in I might end up Canada one time. I did love it. I thought I, I thought Toronto as a city does something slightly different than what New York does is like New York allows you to have all the different cultures and back-to-back neighborhoods and yeah. there's some cross-culture stuff going on but people still get to kind of be who they are a little bit but then everybody becomes a New Yorker and I right. feel like in Toronto like you've got your Asian, different parts of your Asian section of Toronto you got your different white people <laughs> you're different you got your French ones you got you know all that kind of stuff oh yeah um you still got to be I guess that's that mixed salad idea you still get to be I, I really like Toronto for that what do you see as a future for something like Root and Seed if it's not necessarily a is, is it a open source like his oral history like what 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 is a what's the path yeah I for right now um Root and Seed is private so you, you save your audio, you can add text, you can add images, but it's private. Mm. So it's not like a social network where if you record something on the tool, it's going out to the entire community. Like okay. family stories are private and we wanted to make sure that they felt private and secure. So they can be shared on a private link to your family, not on social media. Okay. The recording can be downloaded um, and turned into almost something like a personal family podcast. But the future is one of the beauties that we found, uh, like you have Ancestry and 23andMe who help fill the facts, like the data component of your genealogy or your genetics. But there aren't other companies out there who are helping to add the color to your history. And so one day in, in the future, I think it would be amazing if we had enough repository of stories and people chose to make some of it um, public that let's say I know the village where my father's parents lived, but I 
I don't have too much more information than that. Then maybe somebody else has information about what life yeah. was like in that village and they can add the color to my story peripherally. Um, and honestly, we, we just want more people to ask questions to their families. One, because the more you ask, the more you learn. And two, when you're having meaningful conversations with your family, you're creating a memory. Mm-hmm. And that's important unto itself. Like heritage and culture can be lost in an instant if, really if we don't take the time to capture it. And that's that's what our mission is, is to really just motivate people to realize that their story matters. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that this exists. I'm going to very much encourage those that are listening a Militantly Mixed to check it out. Um, it is still, like you said, a free service. So mm-hmm. get on there and share. Like, you really have nothing to lose except yeah. for, a, you know, potentially a family member telling you to shut up and go away, <laughs> <laughs> which is family. So it's fine. It's totally fine. One um, of my favorite um, accidents, one, our, our delete message Um, Because if you want to delete a recording, we have to let people delete things if they don't Mm -hmm. like it. And it was a complete accident that our error message showed up this way. But we were like, today's accidents are tomorrow's treasures. Are you sure you want to delete this? Oh, cute. (laughs) You never know. You might you might want that story or that. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Uh, So with all your more recent journey into kind of discovering yourself as a mixed person, what have you come to feel like you love most about being mixed? I've always known that I was mixed um, and it made me special. It made me feel really special because I think I identified as white and like this is this is me talking also that blows my mind looking at your face while you say those words I just want you to know that (laughs) it it, it is such a privilege on my part and I recognize that um and I've and maybe it's because I moved to Canada when I was 17 and it did give me the confidence to just be like I'm different and I'm you know special because of that um I think it's opened doors for me that a lot of other you know mixed people or marginalized groups have not been able to to appreciate and I do hope the world is changing enough so that um, people of every ethnicity every heritage every form of mixedness can start to walk around and be like I am special because like because I'm special, because I'm a human, because I come from this incredible mixed background of stories. And yeah, like I I guess now I am trying to help my children understand how special they are because it is, it's still a hard world for children to grow up in no matter what their gender or what they look like or what their ethnicity is or their ability is. Um, And I, I want them to take with them as well that, they are special because they're mixed. I don't think I recognized the true depth of the value of my mixedness. I just saw it as like, I have a unique face that people, you know, are are curious to have around. And that was the, that really was the crux of it at the beginning. But now I see it as so much more and I'm, I'm hoping to help other people see that. Nice. Uh, why don't you let everybody know how to find you if you want and at least uh, root and seed so that they can check it out for themselves? 
Definitely. Um, again, my name is Jennifer Sirupung and Root and Seed can be found at www.rootandseed.com. That online tool is available um, on any mobile web-enabled device for free at capture.rootandseed.com and our social handles are at Root and Seed Co. Come join our community. Nice. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. I know that you had put in like months and months back and I finally was able to catch up with you. So thank you for coming on. Oh, with me. thank you for it. having me. This has been an absolute pleasure. And honestly, like I've even learned more from, about myself just talking to you. That's what I hope that this does. Um, just the more we share our stories, the more we might accidentally uncover something, the more we might plug into an earlier memory. I think every everything like that is just a brick in the building towards us becoming more confident in our mixedness and allowing us to be our mixed ass selves. Definitely. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.